You're listening to Passions and Prologues, a literary podcast where each week I interview an author about a thing they love and how it inspires their work. I'm your host, Adam Sokol, and today's guest is Alexandra Christo, author of the brand new book, The Night Hunt. You may know Alexandra from her stunning, stunning book, uh, To Kill a Kingdom. This is an incredible kind of dark fantasy romance all about a monstrous girl who feeds on fear. This was such a fun conversation. The thing that she is extremely passionate about is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And when you hear her talk about how much she loves it, it's very clear how it has influenced the style of writing that she does. And also we got into the fact that it is a show that while many people may not at first hand think about it, it has deeply inspired so many forms of not just writing, but also obviously TV shows and movies and kind of the the way that we interact with stories that involve monsters and, and all sorts of stuff. It's just a really, really wonderful conversation. And her brand new book, The Night Hunt. If you're listening to this on the day this episode comes out, uh, you can get the book in one week. It comes out on October 10th. Be sure to check it out. You're not going to want to miss it. And if you need something to enjoy while you're waiting one week to get Alexandra's latest book, I've got a little bit of a book recommendation pairing for you here. Uh, Kingdom of the Wicked by Carrie Maniscalco is just a wonderful story. Carrie is really well known for her New York Times bestselling series, Stalking Jack the Ripper. And Kingdom of the Wicked is a story of two sisters. One of them gets uh, brutally murdered. This is not a spoiler. It happens very, very early on. And her sister in a way, in in a quest to try and bring her sister back, goes through basically the seven circles of hell. It is a wonderful story. It is such an incredible YA fantasy. I think you are going to adore Kingdom of the Wicked. If you're looking for more book recommendations from me, you can always find me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Passions and Prologues, or you can shoot me an email at passionsandprologues at gmail.com. I love hearing from you all. Don't ever hesitate to reach out and ask me for book recommendations of any kind. It is my favorite thing to do. And speaking of books, I am recommending, again, The Night Hunt by today's guest, Alexandra Christo, is just delightful. And I'm not going to keep you around here anymore. I hope you enjoy this discussion with Alexandra, author of The Night Hunt on Passions and Prologues. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Okay, Alexandra, what is something that you are super passionate about that we're going to be discussing today? 
Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Beautiful. It's listen, it's that time of year. It's something that was very much, I mean, it's I think it's still sort of part of the, the culture, but it's like very much has a, a huge impact on culture. So for starters, like what when did you discover Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Was it like when it first came out or kind of take me through your discovery? Yeah, sure. I mean, first, I do want to clarify that there's no certain time of year for Buffy. Buffy is an all year round thrill. That's fair. <laughs> it's always spooky season in my house. Beautiful. Um, but yeah, Buffy actually started when I was really young. I mean, I was born in 1990. It was out in the 90s. And my parents were not the type of parents that were like, this is not age appropriate for you. You should not be watching shows about horror and murder. They were very much the parents that were like, this is a cool show. You want to watch it with us which both my brother and I did. So when Buffy was like first airing, we were watching it. And then every year for Christmas, our parents would gift us each the, the video VHS box set mm -hmm. of, of the season. And my brother and I would unwrap it. And there was Buffy and Angel, the spin-off. And we'd have our various box sets. We'd be like, I'll watch mine first, then I can watch yours. Um, so yeah, from when I was very, very little, I grew up with that image of, this kick-ass woman playing mm -hmm. all of her monsters. And I think that definitely had a foundational effect on me and my writing. I was just going to say, I think it absolutely had a, an effect on your writing for sure. And we'll we'll get to that in, in just a, a bit. But I, I guess I, I'm, I'm curious, what was it about the show for you that struck such a chord? Like, what was it that made it so sticky for you? Especially when, you know, when we're so young and like, you know, there's shows that we think are the biggest deal for us one month and then the next we're on to something late, something else. So like, what was it that kept it so like integral and kept your interest? I think it was a couple of things. I think first, the family aspect of sitting around watching my family, having that show that we shared together and that passion we shared together was really important to me. I grew up in a very big family. So my mom is Italian and my dad is Greek and German. So kind of Christmases were like 80 people all just yelling and drunk on like limoncello and Uzo. Mm. So <laughs> I always had that big family thing. So to have like this show that was like our little thing that we could bond over and we could watch every week, we could tune into, that was really important to me. And I think that's that's why it stuck with me over the years. Because even now it's something that I can talk to my parents about or talk to my older brother about. I mean, he lives in Finland. He doesn't even live in the same country as me. So I don't get to see him that often. So, but that's still something that we can always, always share. Even now he's like nearly 40 and we're still talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So I like that it kind of brought us together, the world mm -hmm. of murder. Um, but I guess the other thing is that escape is an element that is in all fantasy and and all horror, that idea that there is a secret world that's among us that we're not aware of. I mean, Buffy wasn't kind of set in Lord of the Rings, like a completely different world. It was set in our world. And it's this idea that there is a world beneath our world, mm. that anyone could be chosen to be the one, the vampire slayer. And I think that made me feel like anything was possible when I was younger. Like, oh, I could be the next vampire slayer. Or yeah. I could fight all the monsters. So... I, I like that aspect. No, I, I know what you mean. It's something I don't think I've ever thought about, but it is, it's like, we are all the main character in our own story. And so mm -hmm. when there is a TV show or a movie where, like you said, it's it's a magical thing, but it is set in for, you know, all intent and purposes, like our world, mm -hmm. it does, it gives you that feeling of you're like, oh, it could be my POV. Like I could be this thing in theory where, like you said, if it's Lord of the Rings, 
a classic you know story. i know i'm not an elf or yeah exactly or like please don't send me emails people i know lord of the rings is great but it's literally set in a on a different world like at a different time i am not a tiny hobbit with large feet i you know it's like are set, you sure i mean i listen i have big ish feet for being 511 but i don't you know i don't have unfortunately or thankfully that giant of a foot and there's no you know but i but i know what you mean like it's when it is in our our world you get that feeling where you're like oh and i could be this person i could be this this thing if that makes sense yeah it's like there's a whole other destiny out there just waiting for you mm-hmm. that kind of idea of endless possibilities of okay right now i'm just walking to school or just going about my every day but one day there's this magical future out there for me i think as a child that was really important for me to to have in my mind i mean even when I was younger, I used to say that I wanted to be, I used to have a whole list of things I wanted to be, and they're all magical creatures. Because for me, the idea is I can be absolutely anything. Mm-hmm. And I think I once told my teacher, oh, I want to be a fairy. And she called my mum into school and said, your daughter's not serious. She has to have a proper career. And my mum was like, she's five. She she can be a fairy. Yeah. Like, calm down. <laughs> Listen, is it really that more, much more unrealistic than like a five-year-old saying they want to be a professional footballer or like even like a fireman? Yeah. Like, if I said, oh, I want to be a professional writer, they probably would have called my mum in again and said, look, she's not being serious. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I totally know what you mean. So I, and I will say, like I said, I, I know, I, I know the, the show fairly well. And I don't know that I've seen every single episode, but one of the things I think, I don't know if they were like the first to do this, but I think one of the things that was so impactful is the fact that they had both like kind of overarching seasonal story mm-hmm. arcs while also having like the monster of the week episodes kind of keep you like you could just like plot you could just drop in at any time and be like oh I don't know what's going on on the outside you can gather it you can gather it yeah so for you what were what were some of your favorite episodes and kind of themes throughout the the Buffy the Vampire Slayer experience oh there are so many oh my god I have seen this show literally I I think about every few months I watch it from start to finish again mm-hmm. it's quite obsessive um and they did like you said invent the monster of the week the big bad that kind of overarching villain while you mm-hmm. deal with all your little villains um so for me my favorite episode there are a few that are kind of stand out in the buffy verse one is once more with feeling which is a musical episode and i mean i might get credited but i think they're the first they were the first show to do that like mm-hmm. a musical episode yeah. they kind of like invented the wheel with that and then all the others followed and it was so fun because none of the other none of the characters could sing like none of the actors could sing they didn't try to auto-tune their voices it was literally just the characters singing and they were bad they were off pitch but you got that real emotion of what they Mm -hmm. were going through the songs were funny they were interactive like there was a seat like the opening scene to once more we're feeling is buffy killing a vampire and talking about how depressed she is while killing the vampire and the demons are kind of taunting her about how they can see she's depressed because she's not that good of a fighter when she's depressed. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it was just really, really interesting the way they kind of blended musical genres. So some characters would like sing in jazz, some would be pop, some had like rock numbers about how they were scared of bunny rabbits. Like it just did not take itself too seriously. It was such a whimsical episode. And that really captured me to the point where I know the lyrics of all the songs in the episode. But by contrast, 
my second favorite episode is an episode called Hush, where everyone loses their voices and nobody speaks for the entire episode. Which <laughs> you is can't get more one, opposite. Is that the one with like the super creepy? Yeah, in the suits, the demons in the suits, and they're like bald and kind of look like those little al- jelly aliens you had in eggs when you were little. Yeah, like they are creepy. Um, yeah, that's that one. <laughs> I I love like, like I said I know. I know the the series pretty well, but like, I, it's hilarious. Like those two, if you would have named like other episodes, I would have just like, and we're at a podcast, so no one would have seen this, but I just would have like nodded politely. But those specific two, yeah, they're Hush very is, very famous. Uh huh. Yeah. The I feel like, like you said, we, I don't know if they like invented these specific like versions of of shows, but I can think of so many different shows that like came off of what they did and like mm-hmm. it was so inspiring and like and so like formative for so many people and and I want to ask how like, like I said before we started recording it's like sometimes the thing that people are passionate about is only tangentially related to their writing but like it's kind of I don't want to say a direct through line but it's clear that this had some influence on on the style of writing that you do correct yeah I mean having that strong female character it's quite an overused term strong female character um but having that kind of woman who wasn't afraid to be feminine but could still kick ass because kind of as I would say in the early stages of like feminism in tv you either the girly girl or you were quote unquote tomboy horrible Mm -hmm. term but and so you either had all the like manly traits and that made you a badass or you were really, really girly and you got killed. And those are kind of the two ways women were viewed in media. And Buffy was a great way of kind of bringing those together and melding them and saying that feminine traits aren't weak traits. Like you can still love fashion and want to do your hair nicely and you know, Mm -hmm. what have you. And then still fight your monsters, still be assertive and dominant and know how to achieve your goals and so that is really important in all the female characters I write because my characters are oftentimes monstrous girls girls who embrace their inner demon and their angry nature and they don't reject their femininity or sacrifice their femininity in favor of it it's just women are well-rounded creatures funnily enough so I try to make my characters that as well and yeah Buffy was a great inspiration for that and just an inspiration for being able to to write women who take charge of her destiny mm-hmm. so often in the series Buffy is told oh you know well straight off she's told she's gonna die like in an early season and then she does then she comes back and she's told oh you have to do things this way this is the tradition the um the Watchers Council have always done things this way. Slayers have always done it this way. And she's kind of the first one that comes in and says, no, I'm going to do it my way. It's my destiny. It's my future. And I'm, I'm going to do what I want with it. And that's a, that's a through line for all of my characters in kind of my, my debut novel, To Kill a Kingdom. That's, that was a big um, part of Lyra's journey is saying to herself and to her mother, I want to be queen. I want to be ruler, but I don't want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. And I want to create the world that I want to see, not the world that you've always thought would be best. And I, I'm really curious because like we were talking about before, Buffy is like this, it's this world 
surrounding and intertwined, intertwined. Yeah, I think I just did both. Of that. We're recording this on a Monday like morning, it. everyone. Yeah, intertwined, intertwined uh, with our existing world. I'm just going to go with it. Um, uh, but there's so much, you know, world building and character building and relationship building that is woven throughout all of the story itself. So I want to ask for someone who writes stories where very oftentimes you're creating worlds and, you know, magic structures, but also characters and plot. Like, what is your kind of entry point into the stories that you create? Like, is it a character? Is it a world? Like, where do your stories start and then kind of blossom out from? I always start with character. Mm -hmm. Um, That's kind of, for me, the most important thing. I mean, I think Vampire Slayer wouldn't be anything without Buffy, right? So like, that's what makes a story important. It was actually a thing that my creative writing professor said. I studied creative writing at university, which is by no means necessary to being an author, but it was something I wanted to do. And my professor once said to me, people read stories for the people, not for Mm -hmm. the story. And that always really, really stuck with me. And Mm -hmm. whenever I sit down to write a book, I always start with a person in my mind, with a character, an idea of who a person is, where they are in life and where they want to be. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of build the world around them. I build all those fantastical elements around them. But intrinsically, every book I write is about a person's journey, normally to self-discovery or to acceptance of kind of fighting against a system that tries to place them in a box, mm-hmm. trying to write their own destinies. And yes, it's in a world that's full of like stabby, stabby, kissy, kissy and, and monsters and gods and, you know, the Grim Reaper or what have you, but it's always essentially about a person finding out who they are and telling the world, this is who I am. And if you don't like it, tough luck. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where I begin every story. <laughs> yeah. And then, so what is the the most challenging part for you? Because I've, I've talked to a lot of fantasy writers where they've said, you know, they love the freedom to basically determine how you know physics works in their their own world. But then I've talked to others who are like, it's crippling to have that much world building freedom. So for you, what, what's the most challenging part of saying like, okay, I am not only creating a story from scratch and characters from scratch, but I'm also creating a world from scratch. Like for you, what is the part that you find most challenging? Doing it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I know what, I, world building is really, really hard. And it's especially hard when you get to the copy editing stage, where your copy editor comes in and says, oh, actually, is it logical that, you know, when they say this spell with their wands that this thing happens? Because if you think scientifically and you're like, oh, my God, it's magic, stop. Yeah. And you have to like think about the semantics of things that readers honestly do not care about. Mm-hmm. But you have to know them and you have to understand how it works, yeah. even when, as you were writing it, you did not have a clue. And so the hardest part for me <laughs> is finding logic within my own madness mm-hmm. because there will be an idea of okay I want to do this in the book I want to kind of so for instance in my second book Into the Crooked Place the um, travel system is floating railway trains I was like I need that in my book and then I have to be like okay what are the semantics of the railways where would they go would they be at certain times would they go to all countries and stop off how long would it take to get from one realm to another realm and do that. So kind of the hardest part for me is almost like finding the boring parts in my imagination. Mm. It's not all kind of writing about swoony death gods. 
it's always finding right where do we ground this so it's not superfluous and so it's not completely Mm -hmm. crazy so even in a fantasy world it's still somewhat believable it follows kind of a trail of logic that the readers can follow and they're like okay these are the rules within this world Mm -hmm. because no matter where you are you have to have rules (laughs) yeah (laughs) which i hate but you know our world follows rules so every world you create has to have its own set of rules and you have to stick to them if you're kind of like my new book the night hunt i'm writing about like death gods i can't just have an elf come in or one of the Lord of the Ring hobbits pop in. Like they don't exist in this world. I have to stick to the rules and the laws mm-hmm. that I've created. And it's very hard to remember the rules and the laws that I've created. Yeah. So there's a lot of spreadsheets and I use a writing software called Scrivener, which is mm-hmm. like virtual cork boards and just files upon files upon files to try and organize my own mind or at least have a system where if I forget something I can go back and say okay this is this is my logic friend Fred let me follow up yeah or listen you could just do I don't know if you watched Game of Thrones when it came out you could just do what they did in the last season where they were just like screw it all those (laughs) things that took a season to have people walk across and fly across it's just going to take them half an episode now it doesn't matter we got to get things you could just do that and just tell listen just tell your uh your editor I'm just doing the Game of Thrones process and see yeah, if that I'm works. ruining the story I've created exactly <laughs> That's for the final chapter of a book to be like and kill everyone yeah ruin all the character development yeah <laughs> I bet your readers will love that they'll, they'll be very excited about that um yeah so can you kind of we've been sort of talking around it a little bit so can you kind of give my audience an introduction to the night hunt about to your, your latest novel which we're recording this at the end of September so it comes out on October 10th is it October 10th everywhere or is it just in the states I'm October 10th everywhere so I tried to have simultaneous release because I'm in the UK and so it's important for me to when I say guys pre-order the book it comes out on 1010 that everyone can pre-order the book and it comes out on 1010 yeah that's absolutely smart so that's okay I wanted to make sure because I knew that was what it said on your website but I want to make sure for my listeners so okay can you kind of give us an, an introduction to the new book yes so the night hunt follows a young girl I say young girl an immortal girl named Atia who feeds off of fear and nightmare And she spent her life hiding from the gods who murdered her family. And one day she breaks a sacred rule, which is she kills someone. Not supposed to do that. Mm -hmm. And it alerts the gods to where she is. And they send a horde of different monsters after her, like mythological creatures, vampires. And there is a death god named Silas. And he offers to help Athia and he strikes a deal with her. He said he will help her defeat the monsters and take on the gods if she helps him to become human again. And so they form this unlikely alliance where they travel through the kingdom and they have to hunt down various mythological creatures also they can gain access to the gods' kingdom and kill a god and both undo their various curses. And so I'm always, I'm always fascinated by stories that have you said gods and monsters and like myth mm-hmm. and, and lore all woven into it. And this isn't like a, where do you get your ideas question? Cause I hate those questions, but it's, I, when it's so weird because you're creating this world and these monsters and, but because we all have this like inherent knowledge of Greek and Roman mythology in our brains, it's almost like if you do something wholly different than that, people are like, well, wait a minute, I'm unfamiliar with a you know a satyr that would do that so yeah for you you know when you like you said you always start with with characters but like when you need those characters to begin to take action like for this particular story does do ideas come from just you know watching shows and like doing other reading or I guess like you know where 
do you come up with the plots that you're going to decide these characters are going to be put through the various hells that they are put through? Um, Buffy the Vampire. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All comes back to back Buffy. Back to the beginning. No, no, no. Um, yeah, so, I mean, Greek mythology is, like, quite, I'd say quite big these days, like, quite popular. Mm-hmm. For me, it's something that I'm really interested in exploring because my family is Greek, and for me, it kind of goes back to, like, touching on my roots. My family, as Buffy, was kind of a bonding experience with my family. Writing books that touch on Greek mythology and explore it is a way for me to feel cult- closer to my family and kind of that culture. And I always grew up with stories of my granddad telling me about the various myths and legends. So for me, it's a fun nod um, to my grandfather who sadly passed just before my debut came out to kind of have that stuff in it. It makes me feel very connected to my family. Um, In The Night Hunt, it's hard because to build the creatures and the monsters in that book and and to find the inspiration, as I said before, I begin with a character and I have to build the world around them. And for me, it was like, okay, Greek mythology is very important. That's a line for all my books but also shows like Buffy have influenced me. So I wanted to kind of combine that modern love for Greek mythology with kind of my childhood love for the traditional monsters like vampires and stuff like that. So this book was fun for me to write and I wasn't so concerned with people saying, well, that's not how I remember the satyrs being. I was mm-hmm. like, well, this is how I've invented them to be. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like it, I don't care because yeah. I like it. <laughs> it's a way of like, I think there's there's a good way to like, draw from the original myths and the original stories because nobody actually wants to read the same book about the same characters and the same monsters all over again like you said if you read a kind of about a creature and you know the rules and you know how they work that's not fun someone's already told that story that already exists so my thing is being inspired by different creatures and wanting to do my own fun takes on them yeah like with the character of silas who's kind of like the death god He's called a herald in the books, which is essentially a mixture of Hermes and the Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of combined those two like legendary <laughs> characters, I suppose you could say, and created an entirely new being for them. And that's the fun for me, right? We're always inspired by the past, but we don't want to copy it because mm-hmm. it already exists in that form. We want to create something new and then hopefully someone else can get inspired from that, inspired from that and then create something new and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. It, it sounds to me like people, I, I'm hoping people can like kind of hear the smile on your face while you're talking about this. Like, it sounds like you, you tr- genuinely like love this part of like the the, tink- the tinkering with the different characters and stuff. And I'm, I'm curious, I, I hear from so many authors who have, you know, have had success. And like when you're writing your first story, you, you don't know what's going to happen with it. You have no idea. You, no one really knows who you are. And, and then it gets put out into the world and hopefully it's successful. And with, with yours, it, it was so... I, I'm curious, like having so much experience now writing different stories, like, is it, I've also had people say like, once they're well-known, there's a lot of pressure. There's, it's like, oh shoot, I gotta, this can't flop. This has to be a really good story. But, like, it sounds like you're really having fun playing like in the kind of like in between the lines of the story. So I, is it a more enjoyable experience now? Or was it when you first started and you were first writing your first book and being like, I hope this turns into something like, is it more fun? Is it more challenging? Is there more pressure? Oh, it's never fun. No, um, <laughs> it, it's always fun and it's never fun. Like you said, when you have a debut, 
there's not really any pressure. You give yourself some pressure of, I hope this succeeds, but you don't really have any expectations. Mm-hmm. You know you're a debut. Said, Nobody knows you. It's kind of like cross your fingers, send it out into the world, and whatever happens, happens. Mm-hmm. If not, you've still got your nine to five. Life goes on. Um, luckily for me, people liked To Kill a Kingdom, which was very nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then, yeah, that did come with a lot of pressure, not just from other people, but from myself of me thinking, okay, now I've got, people who expect a certain standard from me and I have to meet that and you have to juggle with people who are like oh I loved your first book so much do that again but you have to do something different but appeal to that same audience but then appeal to new people it's publishing is always a constant juggling act and it's hard not to be sucked in by the urge to appeal to whatever's popular or whatever tropes people like and just write just for them but if you do that then you don't enjoy the writing process as much. And I always think if you don't enjoy what you're doing, it's not, especially if it's something creative, it's not going to come out as best as it could be. Mm-hmm. So I think the important thing to me in writing is just to kind of block it all out, block out the pressure, block out everything and just write the book, sit down, write the story that I want to write, get it to a place where I'm proud of it, send it to my agent and then start all the panicking and then start all the self-doubt. <laughs> you can't do that during the writing process because it does nothing gets done. Um, <laughs> well, and you also, you also mentioned like ignoring trends and stuff. Like for people who may not like, understand, even for someone who's under contract and has like a, like is a well-oiled machine when it comes to releasing books, like it's still going to be usually like a year between when you start writing to when it's published mm-hmm. at the minimum. So it's like, if you're trying to chase a trend, there's very likely people are going to be have on to the next thing by the time the book comes out. So keeping those blinders yeah. on and like you said, social media uh, just works so, so quickly. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, you can't, you have to almost predict what someone might like in two years and then mm-hmm. be like, aha, I'll write about that. I've got you now. Is yeah. impossible. Uh, do you find yourself, cause I've heard people say both ways. Do you find yourself reading books in the genre that you are writing or do you try to kind of wholly avoid that especially when you're when you're writing your own stories you know when I'm on like full deadline as in first draft deadline I don't read Mm -hmm. because I will be too influenced by what I'm reading and I will start kind of echoing the voices of other authors obviously nobody wants that so like first draft is solitary let me sit down for a couple of months or however long and just write what needs to be written but then when I'm in kind of the editing stage, it's super useful to read within the genre. So to read fantasy books, obviously I write fantasy. And that helps me with the second and third draft when I'm world building to be like, okay, hang on, I see techniques used by the authors. Let me do that. Or even to pepper in twists. Because a lot of times I read fantasy books and I'll be like, oh my God, I never saw that coming. Okay, <laughs> now I need to work on my twist because my twist is too predictable. And you go back and draft, you know, seven or eight or whatever it is. And it really does help for you to refine your book because the first draft is always a first draft so mm-hmm. it's not a matter of comparing it to someone else's finished book it's a matter of saying okay this finished book is really helpful at making me remember what a book is supposed to look like. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's also helpful to read outside of the genre because fantasy is a genre but fantasy within it now has so many other sh- subgenres like romanticy has become the big thing which I guess is what I tend to write mm-hmm. so reading just like straight contemporary romance even helps with with obviously romance elements, but things like casual conversations characters have because it's not all about like death and war and, mm-hmm. and monsters constantly. Like they characters have to have genuine 
conversations between each other and they have to bond and they have to find things they have in common. They have to have banter and jokes and levity and things like contemporary romance really help you build that side of it. The uh, conversation and dialogue that doesn't necessarily move the plot forward, but moves the character relationships forward. It's so freaking hard and people don't realize that. Like it, it just for anyone who has a conversation today, try to write down that conversation back and forth and read it and you will feel like a psychopath because it's so, it looks weird on, on paper. It's like, ah, that is- it looks so weird. The way people like pause or use certain words or say, um, like, la, you can't do that in, the, in a book. No. Like the character's going, um, like, and then I did this. And then I like, it looks so crap on the paper. You can't do that. So you have to kind of make the conversation seem realistic, but without too many fillers, but enough fillers so that it seems that everyone's three-dimensional and everyone's a well-rounded person. <laughs> it's, got, it's got to relate to the plot somehow, but yeah. not all the time enough. There's got to be a background of the plot in it and, Goodness. Listen, I, I just in, do dad jokes. Uh, I live in the, the Midwest of the United States and we do this thing that Australians also do well, where if someone asks us a question, we'll go, yeah, no, or no, yeah. Mm. Like, and it's one of those things where you, when you see it on paper, you're like, oh my God. Yeah, I say, mm, no, yeah, no. And it's like, you don't write that, but that's how people yeah. talk. And it, it's, if I wrote that, that's when my copy here would come and go, is it logical for them to say, yeah, no, um, yeah, no? Yeah. At which point I'd say, yes, it is. Have yes. a conversation with yeah. me. Wildly <laughs> logical, yeah. Um, so we, we obviously talked about Buffy at the beginning being very uh, formative, but do you remember Do you remember when you were younger, what was the first like fantasy novel that you read where you were like, oh man, I want to read these books too, as opposed to just like watching these shows? Yeah, so when I, well, because I suppose it's kind of two. So when I was like younger, younger, Peter Pan was kind of my first foray into fantasy, I suppose. That idea that you could just be whisked away into the night, fly into the stars mm. and kind of be transported to a world full of magic and pirates, which I suppose did impact my first book, just which is about pirates. Bit, yeah. <laughs> just a little bit. Um, so that for me was just just great as a child to like with Buffy, to know that there were potential other worlds out there um, and also to know that it's okay to be ordinary as well. Like at mm -hmm. the end of Peter Pan, kind of Wendy doesn't stay in Neverland, she goes mm -hmm. back to her life. Um, so you can kind of have these fantastical experiences, you can have all these wild dreams, but then, you know, you can also live your normal life and it doesn't have to be everything's an adventure all the time. You can just have one or two really great experiences mm -hmm. that can form who you are as a person. Um, See, so yeah, I love Peter Pan. I collect all the different editions. I yeah. remember when To Kill a Kingdom came out, my publisher gifted me a special edition of Peter Pan, which was really nice. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah. I um, There's a book that came out. It's been a while now, but it's called The Rest of Us Just Live Here by uh, Patrick Ness, I believe, wrote it. Oh, yeah. And yeah, and for those who aren't familiar, it is a story of it's these high school students who there are fantastical, insane things going on with like villains and monsters and heroes going on. But the story is about the rest of the people at the school just trying to survive. So like you get these tangential background stories about the insane things going on about the world maybe ending, but it's just these kids trying to graduate high school. And it's like, you're talking about Peter Pan. Like I, I think about that where it's like, it is really, it's a really powerful reminder when you're writing. Like, oh yeah, I, I, even if your main characters are the ones doing the fantastical things, like there's other people in the story and like, how do you mm -hmm. weave them together? I think it was just a really, 
I always think about yeah. that when I think about fantasy, like fantasy. Like, there's also other people there too that are just trying to get a loaf of bread or whatever it might be. <laughs> That's why as well, side characters are so important in fantasy, right? Like, if you've got that kind of what I've got, it's a dual perspective novel. You can't just have two characters in your right. book. You have to have characters around them. They have to have other friends, especially in a romance book. It can't just be about those two in a codependent, weird relationship. <laughs> you have to have other people that help form who they are and help them kind of discover who they want to be mm-hmm. um so yeah i love writing side characters for that reason i love kind of having someone there it gives all the banter an excuse to put my dad jokes in the book yeah <laughs> um so <laughs> i love that I have, I have one last question for you i always end the conversation by having the author who has come on give a recommendation of any kind it can be a book it can be a show it can be a recipe that you think more people should know about. The only thing I'm not going to let you do is say watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer because that's like <laughs> implied throughout. That's my all. answer to everything. <laughs> so what is, what is something you want to recommend? Again, it can be a book. It could be anything you want other than uh, it's implied throughout this conversation that people should watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, I'm not going to recommend a book because I feel like I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people know what books I like to read yeah. and TikTok will tell people what books they should read, you know, so I'm going to recommend a show called Only Murders in the Building, which I assume some people may have heard of, yeah. but it's fantastic. It's a murder mystery show. It's kind of a bit like a Knives Out in like tone, mm-hmm. very kind of funny and quirky. Selena Gomez is in it. And I named my dog after her, Mabel, <laughs> after her character in that show. I love that. Because oh. <laughs> I just thought it was so funny. And I love that idea of kind of, solving murders instead of causing them which is what my characters normally do mm-hmm. oh that's that is perfect alexandra the night hunt is so wonderful it is a perfect book for this time of year when we're getting those longer nights and it's getting colder and it's just a perfect book to like cozy up with and disappear into another world it, it's such a fun book people are going to love it and thank you so much for joining me today oh thank you so much it's been so much fun what buffy Passions and Prologues is proud to be an evergreen podcast and was created by Adam Sokol. It was produced by Adam Sokol and Sean Rule Hoffman. And if you are interested in this podcast and any other evergreen podcast, you can go to evergreenpodcast.com to discover all the different stories we have to tell. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.